A lot of people, a lot of people, like people who are saved, love the Lord, are soul conscious, want to see people come to Christ, believe in heaven and hell, and believe that to uh, to never hear the gospel or to refuse the gospel would mean an eternity in a place with all the fire, the place that Jesus spoke about, of torments and gnashing uh, teeth and and wailing, weeping and wailing. A person who understands that has a burden, has a desire to reach people for Jesus Christ. But what keeps us from opening up our mouths and starting a gospel conversation? Yeah, fear of rejection or you're not, or, or courage, you lack courage. And then also, don't you feel like, well, what if they start asking questions? I don't know that I can answer all their questions. Sometimes that causes us to be afraid. And yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and he uses means. Right. We're hiding from him in the darkness. Yeah, exactly. Trying to cover up ourselves. We say, I'm good. I don't need that. And we're intimidated by that. And, um, and, and here's the thing is that you're not going to know all the answers. But these men were unlearned and ignorant. They couldn't have answered all the objections that were raised by the scribes or, or the rabbis. They couldn't have answered all. But that wasn't their job. And that wasn't even necessary, right? All they had to do is just speak up with boldness and speak the truth in love and tell them the gospel. Give them the words of God. That's what we're responsible for. But oftentimes because we feel like, well, we don't have the education to be able to be a witness in this day and age because it's getting more and more, more and more intimidating to witness. I mean, we, the, the culture, the, the educational system, everything is turning farther and farther away from God. And so we feel like, well, we don't have an answer for their imaginary figures of billions of years. And we don't have an answer for uh, what they're finding in, in archaeology and so on. And we don't have an answer about what they're saying about um, religion and it's caused wars and all this kind of thing. Or we don't have the, an answer about what they're saying about all of the different denominations and so on and so forth. Or, uh, you know, how's come there's so many different beliefs out there. If you all have one Bible, why do you all believe so many different things? They'll throw up all kinds of things. How can I prove that there is a God? And so, therefore, we keep our mouths closed. But the answer to all of that is, is to, you see at the end of the verse, it says that they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They listened to these men. They saw their boldness, and they said, these men are just like Jesus was. Jesus was bold. He confronted us. He wasn't afraid or intimidated by our education or by our position or so on. They, they said he, they'd been with Jesus, plus they talked like Jesus. They were saying the same things that Jesus was saying. And they were bold. So the answer for us is to spend time with Jesus. That's where your boldness comes from. And it's the mark of a man who spends much time with Jesus. Whether or not we're ignorant or unlearned really has nothing to do with it. These disciples turned the world upside down. And you know, Jesus, he actually, uh, 
he rejoiced in the fact that God made the men who were wise in those times look foolish. Look at it in Luke chapter 10 with me. Jesus rejoiced about God messing up the know-it-alls and the scholars of his day and of their day. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus had sent his disciples out to preach, and all they uh, were to do was to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And they did that, and they did that in power with signs attending it. And uh, when they came back, they were rejoicing about all the things that they were able to do and, and how people uh, were responding and people were healed and even devils were subject to them. And so he says, verse 19, well, verse 20, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So get the picture. They're all rejoicing. They're having a big time. It's exciting. They're serving the Lord. They're together with him. And Jesus sees that they're filled with joy and happy about what they've accomplished. And then Jesus starts to rejoice. Verse 21. And that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father. If you ever wondered if Jesus smiled or was happy, right here is a scriptural proof that Jesus rejoiced, smiled, and was happy about something here. Of course he was. He says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. Who's that? The Sanhedrin. He rejoiced that God hid the truth from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Who's that? Peter and John. Babes. What is a babe? They don't know anything. They're unlearned. They're ignorant. They're untrained. That's what Peter and John, that's what they were. And uh, Jesus knew it about them. He said they're babes, but they're children of the kingdom. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. You see, God makes fools out of the wise of this world. And rejoices, rejoices in it. That's the God of the Bible. You know why he rejoices? They had rejected him. They had rejected him, and therefore, light rejected becomes darkness and becomes ignorance. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Isn't that something? You know what it is back in Acts chapter 4? If a man is filled with pride, or if a woman is filled with pride, and we're trying to witness to them and start a gospel conversation or tell our testimony or give them a gospel tract, if their hearts are filled with pride, God does this and says, he puts his hand up and says, I'll resist you. God resists the proud that gives grace unto the humble. Who's the humble? People that could admit that I am a sinner and that I am on my way to hell and I'm a hell-deserving sinner and I need Jesus Christ to be saved. At the youth rally, here's an example of, I mean, 
it, it's in the hearts of children at the earliest of ages. And it's in the hearts of men who are in their 80s and 90s. Like we hear about uh, Brother Randy Presley's neighbor. And he's, he's proud. And even though he's gone through everything he's gone through, he still doesn't want to hear the gospel. And, yeah. And um, that's just one example of so many just filled with pride. And they don't want to hear it. What's the problem? God's resisting them. No humility. They won't humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Uh, sometimes it's because they know they've lived a really an exceedingly wicked life. Other times it's because they know that their life is contrary to this book. So therefore, rather than to humble themselves and say, maybe I'm wrong. It's hard for us to say we're wrong, isn't it? Rather than to humble themselves, they, they puff up their chest and they wave their flags and they're proud of their sin and their defiance against God and even shake their fist, take his name in vain before God. I saw this in, in just in children. I've seen it a lot of times, and you have too. But the, the other day I was um, counseling some children that had raised their hands at the end of uh, youth rally. And these are a couple of our children that come here. Just to give you an idea of what goes on in the hearts of uh, sinners, no matter how old they are. Uh, this is why we have to be careful about child evangelism. But they raise their hands, and I'm glad that they raise their hands. They're responding. They say, they realize, I need this. That I don't have this, I haven't done it, and uh, I do need this. But in order to get a person saved, you have to get them lost. So in the preaching, it was good preaching, but the gospel had not been preached. And their souls had not been dealt with, with about sin. So... I went to talk to him, and I said, guys, here's the deal. Um, you have to start at the beginning with this, and the beginning is, the first step is you have to understand your sinners. God says all have sinned, so therefore that means that I'm a sinner. That means that the preacher that just preached, he's a sinner. And um, that means that you're a sinner, and you're a sinner. All have sinned. That's what God's Word says. And we have to agree with God about that. And we have to be sorry for our sin before we can get saved. So I said to them, I said, uh, do you understand that you're sinners? And they, they said, yeah. And I said, well, let me, let, me, let me see. So I gave them some of the Ten Commandments. You ever told a lie? You know, that's a great way to help a person understand and to see if they'll humble themselves or not. And they, they yes, they agreed that they had lied. And you ever stolen anything? Yes, they've stolen some things. And and uh, you ever looked at uh, someone uh, with, with lust? Have you ever looked at, uh, you know, bad pictures on the Internet and things like that? And they, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, these are three of the Ten Commandments. Jesus said if you look on a woman to lust after her, that means you have intent in your heart. Uh, that is, that's the same as committing adultery. So those are three of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie or bear false witness. Shall not steal or commit adultery. And, uh, and I said, have you ever um, yelled at your parents or disobeyed them or cussed them or, you know, or told them you hated them or something like that or ran away from them or tried to hurt them? And yeah, yeah, I did. Well, that's, that's another one of the Ten Commandments, honor thy father and mother. And I said, guys, you know what that shows me <clears throat> and what that should show you? That you're a sinner, just like God says. We've broken his laws. Now, if you were to stand before 
a holy God <clears throat> and, and he were to judge you, do you think that you would go to heaven or do you think that you'd go to hell? Would you be innocent or would you be guilty? And they said, well, we'd be guilty. Okay, do you think you'd go to heaven or you'd go to hell? And they said, well, I think we'd go to heaven. We haven't done, I mean, not real bad stuff. And so that's where you have to stop. You can't go any farther. Because I can't do that operation in the heart that only the Holy Spirit can do to, to convince men of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. That's the only way he can do And he hasn't done that in our hearts yet. Why? God resists the proud. You have to be humbled. And God can do that. God can't do that. You can't save anyone, and I can't save anyone. But God, keep praying for them. They'll, I have confidence that they'll get saved. Yeah. And what is the problem? Well, we can look at them and perceive in them some things. And it's the same problem with everybody. We love our sin. We love our sin. And if we get saved, we know that we've got to change our ways. We just instinctively know it. And so therefore, not willing to... That sorrow for sin it has to come from the Holy Spirit. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, that's what's happening in a child. And the child is just transparent and open enough with you to talk about it. Now you try to talk to an older person, they may or may not talk to you about those things. But I'm just saying, that's what's in the heart of every person. And God resists the proud, and he, re, and he rejoices in messing up scholars who uh, resist and deny the truth. So back in Acts chapter 4, um, there's something that you learned about Jesus today that you may not have known. Acts chapter 4 and verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So that was one thing that Peter said, what are you going to charge us with? We healed a man. We haven't done any wrong in that. So they couldn't say anything against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So they sent them out, and they're trying to figure out what to do about it. Now, if there was a way to prove that the resurrection didn't happen, why didn't they do it right there? They're in Jerusalem. They're close enough to the tomb. They're close enough to all of that stuff. Why didn't they bring that up? It's because they knew they could not disprove the resurrection. They knew that they didn't have evidence. And did you know that today, even still today, there are still people who are um, using that as an objection to the truth. They say that the Jews believe that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. That's, that's what happened in the first century, and therefore that's a myth. It's a fairy tale. Well, if the Jews believe that they stole the body, why didn't they right here straighten this whole thing out and end this? They would have if they could have, but they couldn't. And they knew it. And they couldn't say anything against the healing. They, it was a bona fide miracle. So they sent them out, and they're trying to figure out what to do. Verse 16, saying, what shall we do to these men? So they're having a council. From verse 15, a council. And they're trying to figure out what to do with these men. For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it, but that it spread no further, they're talking about this in their council, no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. So they called them back in. 
It's interesting to note that whenever you find a council in the Bible, whenever a council has convened, it's always working against the truth. So that teaches us something about councils. Councils. Councils always work whenever men or women get together to decide what to do about something, um, especially in the sense of a religious council. They will work against the truth of the scriptures. So therefore, as you look at the church councils in history, um, not the even, even the one in, in Acts chapter 15, that council that was convened, with the elders coming together from the churches, they were working against the truth. <laughs> the first council, the first church council, working against the truth. And in every church council, and as the farther it goes along in history, you'll find more and more that they're, they're like this. It's like they keep, they're like here, they're up close to the Bible, and they just keep moving farther and farther and farther away from the Bible in church councils. City councils will do the same thing. Uh, and uh, not just in America, but around the world. Councils of men. Whenever men get together, you got to remember that men are depraved. They're darkened in their minds. They're not under the Holy Spirit's influence, and they will always work against the truth. And the one that I keep citing, which is just so obvious, is that when a church, when a school council meets to decide what direction they're going to go with their education. They will accept a state-mandated uh, and state-funded program, the core curriculum, and they'll do that against the truth. And then they will stand in classes, and, and, and Christian people stand in classes and tell things to children that they know is not true. So they will, they will spread a lie. And think that they can do it in good conscience because they're mandated to do it in order to get state funding. That's just an example in your own backyard of councils working against the truth of God. And any Christian person who stands up in a classroom and tells children a lie and thinks that they have an excuse before God, saying, I had to say that because if I don't say that, we'll lose our state funding. That person is guilty before God of lying and propagating a falsehood to another generation. You see? That cuts close to home, doesn't it? That's a counsel for you. So, you know the Bible's true, what it says about counsels. They always, always work against, and we have to be careful about it. When churches have business meetings, you have to be careful about it, because a church business meeting can actually work against the will of the Spirit of God, what, a, what the Spirit wants to do in a church. A church can actually resist that, so you have to be very careful that a church, when, it, when we convene together in a business meeting, that a church does not resist the will of God. That's why you have to be prayed up and, and be uh, you know, filled with the Spirit and do things scripturally and so on and so forth. You say, though that can't happen. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. So, uh, now they're trying to figure out what to do. They call them back in. And they command them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now that's the devil speaking right through them. You're not allowed to speak in the name 
of Jesus. So that is satanic. You see, they were preaching in verse 12 that there's salvation in no other name. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's what they'd been preaching. Now you're not allowed to speak in the name of Jesus. The devil doesn't want people to get saved. He wants people to be ushered into hell by the millions. So he doesn't want them to speak in the name of Jesus. But, verse 19, Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, more than unto God judge ye. That's what a teacher ought to say. If you think it's right in the sight of God for me to hearken to you and to further this lie, you judge. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm on his side. So they said, whether you think it's right or not, you you judge. And uh, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You see, they were just bold. They were just bold believers. And boldness does not come natural. I don't know about you, but I don't feel bold all the time when I'm out and about. Man, when I, when I went on vacation, it's such an eye-opener every time you get away from this area because this area is kind of like a little sanctuary village um, filled with a lot of people who love the Lord. And um, there's a little bit of... of, of uh, the rebellious spirit, the Antichrist spirit that's present here, of course. But, man, you go out <laughs> into the public. Just up in Sandusky at Castaway Bay, which, by the way, it's not as good as uh, Great Wolf. Uh, I would definitely go back to Great Wolf. But um, we showed up there, and there was a late check-in, and then our rooms weren't ready, you know, because they're understaffed, of course. And, and then we get our room, and then our room's dirty, and it has, like, crumbled up cookie crumbs and candy bar crumbs all over the tables and the floor is not steam mopped and because it had like hard surface floor it was not clean I was like so here I am you know I I can't go down there and you know ball them out I can't do that Uh, so I go down there and I'm like uh, I said would you mind sending up somebody to clean up our room or would you just give me some sanitizing wipes or something and uh, so they said we'll send somebody up right away so I go up there and I wait a half an hour (laughs) Nobody shows up. So I go back down. I was like, manager. <laughs> and so I talked to the manager, and I'm just like, I'm just, would you look at my room? And uh, how, how, do you, how do you think I should feel about this? You know? um, and so by this time, it's 8 o'clock at night. We, we went away and gave them a lot of time to get ready. It's 8 o'clock at night. The room's still not ready. And you know, the manager that came with me, her name was TJ. Um, she dressed like a boy. She had her hair cut like a boy. She looked like a boy, and she wanted to look like a boy. Um, now, what do you think I did? <laughs> well, I didn't belittle her or make fun of her or bully her or anything like that. But in the room, you know, I, I, I'm just talking about the room, and we need help with the room and so on and so forth, and we want to be a witness to them while, we, while we're there and everything. But I just realized just this is just Ohio, you know, Sandusky, Ohio. So there's... And she was nice and everything like that. And the kids were like talking about, you know, this lady while she was in the room. And she didn't, she didn't be like, you know, I'm a man, you know. She didn't do none of that. But uh, I just realized, boy, we are just, we are in a different situation here. And 
I could tell you some other things, but I won't because um, I'm supposed to be polite in my speech, but you would not believe what was going on in the men's bathroom while I was there. Um, I'm just telling you, we're in a world that hates God and hates the truth of the Word of God, and you need to be on God's side more than ever, and you need boldness. In a situation like that, I don't particularly feel bold to confront that. I don't particularly feel that way. And we need to be close to Jesus, to have boldness. Of course, we can stand in here and preach about the truth and preaching at the choir and, you know, and hurrah and all that kind of stuff. Look at Ephesians 6. Even the Apostle Paul, he didn't always feel bold. But this culture has to be confronted because we're not going to turn it around, but for one reason. There are people who are going to get saved. Beth sent me a recent report, and I haven't read it yet, a recent report about these children who are talked into these gender changes and even hormone therapy and so on and so forth. What happens to them later on and the suicide rate among them, the depression that follows that, being confused and all mixed up about life. And it all, you know how it is when you're young, everything seems bright and happy and you know, uh, the possibilities of life seem endless. And then you grow up a little bit and you realize uh, some things about life. And it's just tragic. They're ruining the lives of children. But these are precious souls for whom Christ died. And we have to confront this thing and continue to be bold with the gospel. Um, so Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And look at verse 19. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19. And for me, Paul says, pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul said, pray for me, that I may open my mouth boldly. Now, Paul needed prayer. Lord, help Paul. He's going to get scared. And help him to be courageous and to just be bold because he's putting his life in his hands. Now, we're not putting our lives in our hands, but we need boldness so we can pray for one another. Now, that was his only prayer request. He didn't say, Lord, deliver me from uh, persecution. He didn't say that. He said, give me boldness. You see? So back in Acts chapter 4, boldness comes from being with Jesus. Boldness comes from believers praying for you and boldness comes from a commitment to just say i'm going to listen to god and i'm going to be on god's side and i'm not going to listen to you i can't so verse 21 so when they had further threatened them they let them go finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people for all men glorified god for that which was done so they're cowards. They're afraid of the people. Now, if the thing was right, then it was right, and they needed to tell the people no matter what. But they were cowards. They were afraid of the people, and they wanted to keep getting their income because that's what it all comes down to. Keep the thing going. Keep the gravy train going there at the temple. For the man was above 40 years old on which this miracle of healing was showed. You remember when Jesus died on the cross and uh, 
and it was dark and there was an earthquake. You remember what happened in the temple during that time that the veil, yeah, it was split. And they've talked about how thick that veil was. It was you could not tear it with your hands. Not, not even Chuck. He's strong, but Chuck couldn't tear it with his hands. You know, um, God did that. But you know what they did afterwards? Josephus tells us that they sewed it back up and put it back together. So they're trying to go on with the show, and they don't want anything to upset the apple cart, so to speak. And so they're basically just trying to keep this thing hush-hush and hope that the, uh, the enthusiasm dies out. And I think that's what the devil's hoping about us. He hopes that the enthusiasm in this church will die out and that he can just kind of push us off to the side. So uh, verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. So there's another source of their boldness, of their courage. They, they went to spend time with other Christians. And that's where a lot of a, a good spirit-filled ministry will do that for us. We can spend time with one another. And it's like we come together every week and we rearm ourselves and get more ammunition and go back out to the fight. you know. And, that, and it ought to be strengthening when you come here. When they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, we quit. <laughs> That's not what they said. They said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Now, this world doesn't believe that. We don't, it's not even taught. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? They're quoting from Psalm chapter 2. The Psalms give all the glory to God, that God is the creator. And we learn in the New Testament that Jesus, uh, he's the one who created us. He's the one who holds all things together, and by him all things consist. And um, they're quoting from their Bible and from their hymn book, and in their, in their prayers, they're exalting God and, and they are adoring God and worshiping God, praising God, thanking God. And that's their prayer meeting, the church prayer meeting. So we're about ready to see uh, an, an apostolic New Testament church prayer meeting as we study this. And it starts with adoration and it starts by quoting scripture. So therefore, when we pray, we ought to quote scripture and we ought to just give God's word back to him in prayer, um, claim his promises in prayer. And right now, uh, I think it was maybe Jenny Lee that got a poster in there. I'm not sure who bought it, but um, there's a poster in there with the acrostic ACTS, A-C-T-S. That's a really good teaching tool for teaching anyone how to pray. You use that acrostic. A is for adoration. C is for confession. T is for thanksgiving. And S is for supplication. And, and uh, our prayers should start, should begin with adoration. And that's just um, worshiping God, praising Him for who He is and for what He's done. And they praise God, first of all, for being the creator of heaven and earth. And I challenge you to do this, men. I challenge you to do this. Anytime that you are invited to pray publicly in any form, you know, whether it's small situation, family gathering, or whether it's a social, civic type thing, do this. Always start your prayer out by acknowledging God as creator because that is so contrary to 
the spirit of the age. Acknowledge him as creator and always, always pray in Jesus' name. <laughs> you know, pray in Jesus' name. And uh, in doing that, we, I think God gets even more glory out of it now because that's, that's rejected today by so many. And he says, who by the mouth of thy servant David, now he's in Psalm 2 and he's quoting Psalm 2, and he called David God's servant. And David is the servant. Okay, keep that in mind. David is God's servant. And he's quoting Psalm 2, which is doctrinally a second advent passage. So if you were to read Psalm 2 in your own time, what you're reading about is Christ's second coming, not his first coming. But they take it and they use it in a way, they spiritualize it, which is not wrong. But they, they see in there that this is what's happening. The heathen are raging. That's the nations. And the people, the Sanhedrin, imagining vain things, empty things that are not true. And the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers, that's their rulers, the Sanhedrin, standing up against them, were gathered together against the Lord. That's who he was really, that's who they're really against. Against the Lord and against his Christ. So now we're going to see the difference between the servant David and his Christ, God's Christ, who's also called the Holy Child in verse 27. And it's important that when we refer to Jesus Christ to remember that we should refer to him as his Christ, as Christ, you know, the son of the living God, because the devil has his Christ. There's another Christ and he's the Antichrist. It's important that the distinction be made and that people be aware of another Christ, that Jesus is his Christ, God's Christ, and that's who the rulers were actually standing up against. It wasn't personal about Peter and John, except that they just had enough boldness to stand up in the temple and start preaching and to heal a man. It wasn't personal against them, even though they attacked them on a personal level and called them unlearned and uneducated and you know, and Hicks from Galilee, uh, basically. Uh, it was, the problem was, it's a confrontation against them and Jesus Christ. It's between them and the Lord. You say, why do you say that? Well, if you do any witnessing at all, uh, I think you said it, Brother Clifford, you're going to be rejected, right? Well, they're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting you. But it feels that way. It feels that way personally. Because they'll call you a Bible thumper or whatever. Or, you know, especially in your family. Man, it's rough. But they're not rejecting you. And you have to keep that in mind. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. And so uh, the most recent rejection that I had was trying to witness to uh, Lily and uh, Jace's dad. And so... I Gave him at the funeral when I when I preached their mom's funeral. The family was there. Um, their dad was there, and afterwards I gave him this is your life gospel track. It had my number on the back, and I told him, I said uh, you can call me, and um, if you want to know about your kids, uh, I don't think that children's service necessarily. They didn't tell me to do this, but I'm. You can call me and talk to me. I want to be a witness to him, you know. Um, and even after a while, we let him do video calls with his kids. But I gave him that track, and he kind of looked at me like, 
uh, okay. And he had to put it in his pocket, you know, I had my number on it. So <laughs> the next time I saw him, I gave him another chick track, a different one. And he said, he said, oh, I, don't, I don't need that. No, that's not for me. I'm good. So it's rejection, you know, and kind of like, like, get away from me. You know, that kind of a feeling. <laughs> well, you know what's going to happen the next time I see him? Um, after he threw me under the bus in, in court, I'm going to restrain myself from wanting to argue with him. And I'm going to tell him, uh, I'm praying things go well and there's nothing better than for these kids to be reunited with their family. And we've been praying like that the whole time. I want to give you another one of these, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to say, I want you to read this and it is for you because Christ died for sinners. He died for the ungodly and that's all of us. That's me. That's you. And so if you're a sinner and if you're ungodly, he died for you. And uh, I'm going to give him another gospel track because he's not rejecting me. He's rejecting Jesus Christ. And you got to just keep at it. You got to, you got to keep at it. Um, maybe he'll get saved. And, uh, you know, Jace has told me, he says, why don't we give him a Bible? Because the Bible's got more stuff in it. And I said, well, that's a good idea. So I, I have a little Gospel of John's um, that uh, Colton gave me. I'm going to give him one of those, too. So, um, but you have to get over that fear of rejection. Imagine a door-to-door -door salesman. If he was afraid of rejection, he wouldn't get very far, would he? <laughs> you know, you might re be rejected 29 times, but on that 30th call, you make a sale and you sold another product, you know. So <clears throat> just be ready for rejection. When you invite somebody to church, you might have to do it the 10th time before they come. So uh, they're all rejoicing together, and the kings of the earth stood up. Verse 26, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. So we'll, we'll stop there and we'll come back with some comments about the holy child Jesus the next time that we're together. Let's go ahead and take a break before our morning service.